So what kind of world do you want to live in? When you dream of the perfect world, what does it look like? I guess that uh, the past year has probably had a bit, of a, a bit of an effect on the kinds of things that we dream of and hope for, maybe made them a little bit more ordinary than they would have been a year ago. Uh, we just long to go to the supermarket without wearing a mask, don't we? To be able to go to the cinema, to be able to see our families, just to be able to have a hug with somebody. But beyond that, there are some bigger things that we do dream of, aren't there? Things which people, uh, I guess, all around the world and at different times would dream of too. Uh, dreams of a world without poverty, uh, where there is no pollution and no destruction. Dreams of a world where people don't get, don't get hurt, where no one gets ill and comes to the end of their life. We dream of the world of Isaiah 65, don't we? It's just one of those passages in the Bible which speaks to us of the world as God created it to be and intends that it will be. I know that one of the things that Christians are sometimes accused of is wishful thinking. Sure, some people say, uh, it sounds very nice. Too good to be true, in fact. So maybe it isn't true. And I want to say when I hear that, well, I guess they're half right. It does sound amazing, the world described in Isaiah 65, doesn't it? Uh, it's a, a world which I certainly dream of and want to believe is true. I want to believe in a God who promises those kinds of things to his people. It's the world we all want, isn't it? But just because I want to believe that Christianity is true doesn't mean that it isn't. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, this is the world we are praying for. This is the world that God has promised. Uh, it's the world we get just a glimpse of in the life of Jesus. And we pray for more by God's grace. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now it's worth remembering what Isaiah is doing here in this passage, where this sits in his book. Uh, you may remember from last year that uh, the big question, which in many ways drives the whole of the book of Isaiah, is the question, how? How can the rebellious, unfaithful city of Jerusalem, the city of God's people, become this city of light, this hope of the nations, this place that God promises it will one day be? How is it possible for the city that's described as being like a prostitute in Isaiah chapter 1 to become the faithful city of the Lord. And the, the answer that Isaiah gives right through his book is that it's all about God's Messiah King. The whole book is pointing us to Jesus Christ. The promises that we read in chapter 65 are only possible through the work of God's servant King, the suffering servant, by whose wounds his people are healed. That's how we get these verses in chapter 65 and this vision. Just have a look at it again if you've got your Bible open in front of you there. It's a world of gladness and joy, verse 18, where there is no weeping and no sadness, verse 19. It's a, a world where there is fullness of life, where there is security and provision of all that is needed, verses 20 to 22, where people are blessed by the Lord, 23 and 24. It's a place of peace where they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. 
And this is the kind of vision that we need to keep in mind as we pray to God our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So let's think about the two parts of that. First of all, about praying for God's kingdom to come. Uh, England used to have a monarch, uh, didn't it, who, who ruled by decree. It was usually a king, sometimes it was a queen. Uh, these days we still have a hereditary monarch, but most of her power is symbolic. I wonder, would you like to go back to the days when we were properly ruled by the king? Henry VIII, maybe. King John, perhaps. I don't think so, do you? But the Bible promises that there is a king who rules and who we want to have ruling. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm very grateful uh, in this human world that we live in a democracy. Uh, You may complain about the current government or the last government or any government. We often do, don't we? But, of course, it's not hard to look around the world and see many places ruled by dictators and and tyrants with cruelty uh, and keeping people in fear of their lives. And so I'm definitely one of those who is with Winston Churchill. Uh, You may remember his famous quote when he said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others which have been tried. When it comes to human leaders, that's all too true, isn't it? Uh, We need some kind of system that sets limits on people's power, on the time that they're able to be in charge. But when we dream of the perfect world, of God's new heavens and new earth. It's not a parliamentary democracy. It's not an elected presidency or anything like that. What the Bible says we really need is a kingdom, a kingdom ruled by a king who is both powerful and good. And that is the kingdom of God. He's not elected. We can't overthrow him at the next election because we didn't elect him in the first place. As Jesus himself put it with his disciples, for you did not choose me, I chose you. He's a king who makes promises which go way beyond what any politician would dare to put in a manifesto. Just read Isaiah 65 again for a moment. But who keeps every one of them down to the last detail. His heavenly kingdom is more exciting than any place on earth you could dream of visiting. I don't know what your dream would be, whether it's a a Caribbean beach or uh, shopping in New York, whatever it might look like. The more we grasp the picture of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the more those things pale into insignificance. And we will want to pray your kingdom come. Because praying your kingdom come is asking for God's rule to be present and to be known. Uh, It's praying for the peace and provision that was there in the Garden of Eden. It's expressing our longing to live by God's laws, in God's place, as he promised to his people through Abraham and, and Moses and various others. It's longing for the rule of a king who will be like David and Solomon, but better, much better, and without all the flaws. It's praying for the reign of Jesus Christ in the world and in our lives. The one who showed us what God's kingdom was like in his teaching and in his miracles and in his death and his resurrection. This king of healing and provision and freedom and justice and peace. When we pray this prayer, we're praying it both for the present and for the future. 
In the present, it's to pray for the, the healing of the sick. It's to pray for provision for the needs of those in poverty. It's to pray for justice for those who are abused or oppressed. And it's to pray for peace for all those who are troubled. It's praying for things which we may sometimes find when we pray them, that part of the answer is for us to be used by God as the answer to those prayers. That's praying for your kingdom come in the present. But to pray your kingdom come, of course, is also to long for that future, for Jesus to return, for the time when, when healing and provision and justice and peace and all of those things will not just be partial and temporary, not just the kind of glimpses we sometimes get in our world, but full and eternal. It is to pray for the end of the world. And so it's a very serious prayer to pray because Jesus will return in judgment. Just read the first half of Isaiah 65. And he'll return to claim his servants from among those who reject him. So we should be praying for this. It's exactly what the world needs. And yet at the same time, it should also give us a bit of a jolt every time we pray it and remind us of the urgency of sharing the good news of Jesus, the one who calls people to him with all those around us. Your kingdom come. Well, he is the eternal saving king who we need. And then we pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Um, and that phrase, I don't know about you, sometimes when I hear Christians praying it, maybe sometimes when I pray it, I realize that it can sound a little bit grudging at times. Uh, it's, um, it's almost as if we pray, Lord, here are our plans. You know, here, here's the job that I would like to get. Um, here's the church plant that I'd like to lead. Um, here is the person, uh, and I want you to help them in this way or that way. Um, here are our Christmas services, and we'd like you to bless them. And then we add at the end, but your will be done. And it almost sounds like a kind of get out uh, for when we don't get what we're asking for from God, almost as if we've got a sense of we don't really trust him to do what is needed. Uh, maybe we don't really believe that he can answer our prayers or understands what it is that we're really after. Uh, we need to be very careful that your will be done doesn't just become a kind of disappointment management prayer. Maybe if we do that sometimes, it's because we realize deep down what a radical thing it is that Jesus has taught us to pray. Because deep down, we probably do understand that sometimes we don't get the answers to our prayers because our plans aren't very good. And even if they're not completely hopeless, they at least are flawed and need refining. Maybe they're mistimed. There's all kinds of things which God might know that we don't. And so for God to answer sometimes with different things than we might have asked for, is often his grace to us, whether we understand it or not. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Of course, the Bible begins with the, crea the creation of the heavens and the earth, fairly swiftly followed by their division as the people of the earth declare their, their independence from the God of heaven. The story of the rest of the Bible is the story of this God, who longs to be reunited with his people, who is determined to reunite heaven and earth. That's why the Christmas story is so important. The word became flesh. is about heaven touching earth once again. 
The beauty of Isaiah 65 is that it's a vision of what happens when heaven returns to earth. Uh, it's the glory of heaven filling all things once again, God's new creation. And we need to remember that this is possible on earth as in heaven because Jesus is the servant king who himself prayed, your will be done. I'm sure many of you remember what happened on the night before Jesus died in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went there to pray. Uh, he was wrestling with the awfulness of what he knew was coming. And so he prayed to his father, uh, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. And then he added, but not my will, but your will be done. An attitude of complete submission to his father, an attitude of trust in his father's plans. And so to pray this part of the Lord's Prayer is to trust. To say your will be done means instead of my will. It is for us to trust our Father in heaven that he knows and he will always do what is right, what is good and what is best. Sometimes we just may not be able to see it. Sometimes even like Jesus, we know it may hurt. Sometimes a lot. There are things that I have prayed for people and I still don't understand why God has not answered my prayer in the way that I hoped that he would. And I am learning, it's an ongoing process, to trust my Father, that his will is better than mine, even in the things that I may not understand at all this side of eternity. It is freeing, though, to pray your will be done, because it is this statement of trust. It means we don't have to worry, really, about how we pray. Sometimes we don't want to pray out loud because we're not sure what to say. But all we need to do is say, Lord, here are my prayers. Here's this person I want to pray for. Here's this situation. Here is this meeting. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Lord, give us what we need. And we know when we pray that, that we are handing it over to him and that he will be at work. Sometimes this feels hard, doesn't it? But I want to finish again with Isaiah 65, because it gives us a vision, not just of what is coming, but of what the Lord is like. That he is the God, the King, who has gone through all that we are going through, because he is so determined that we might be his people, that we might know his love, that we might receive things that are just better than we can ask or imagine. So let's close uh, with a few of those words again from Isaiah 65. You might like to just uh, close your eyes for a moment and take these as a prayer as we come to the God who is our Father, who is the King, who is coming and who loves us. Let us pray. The Lord says in Isaiah, be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will be a people blessed by the Lord. Before they call, I will answer. Our Father God, we 
We thank you that you know our prayers before we have formed them, that you are waiting with your answers before we even speak them, that you are loving and trustworthy and good. And so, Lord, as we look to the coming week, as we look to the coming year, as we look at all the things that are happening in our lives and in your world, Teach us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Amen.